My name is Jason, pastor here at the church, and we really are so glad that you're here today. It is a big deal, and, uh, and so thanks. Thanks so much for being here. We are in the middle of a series right now called I Want What God Wants, uh, and it's based on a book that I released uh, at the end of April, and, uh, or middle of April, I guess, and we're in the middle of that. Last week, we gave away copies of the book. If you were not here, you missed it. You missed the free giveaway, uh, but we'd love for you to pick up a copy of the book. You can buy those at the Connection Center in the back. Um, we'd love for you to, uh, to pick one of those up, all right? No baby yet. No baby yet. Ezekiel is still not here. I know it's ridiculous, um, but uh, mama's in a lot of pain, and she's in the bed this morning, so just pray for her. And uh, the doctors have said Thursday. If the baby's not here by Thursday, then we're going in, all right? So... Uh, that is the plan. That's, that's, uh, that's what we're going to do, all right? Well, last week, we uh, started this series off by asking the question, can I trust God? Can I trust God? Can I trust that God always wants what's best for me? Can I trust that God always wants what's best for me? And, and, and the reason that's such an important question is because we are trying to get to a place, the whole point of this series is we're trying to get to a place where we can honestly, truly say, I want what God wants. I want what God wants for my life, no matter what that is, no matter what I got to go through, no matter what God is asking me to do, I want what God wants more than I want what I want. And so when we find ourselves in life, in a situation in life, where we're having to decide between what we want and what God wants, we have to be able to answer the question, can I trust that God always wants what's best for me? Can I trust that God always wants what's best for me? And what we said last week is, spoiler alert, yes, yes. Every single time we can trust that God always wants what's best for me. Even when it seems like we have to go through something painful, even when it seems like God is holding out on us, even when it seems like that, that it would be easier or better to go with what we want, we can trust that at the end of it all, every single time, God wants what's best for us. And, and that is the launching ground for being able to say, I want what God wants. And so this week, for the second week of this series, um, we're going to talk about wanting what God wants or obeying God, because it's really a series about obedience, how obedience transforms our life. And so we're going to talk about obeying God when it seems impossible. Obeying God when it seems impossible, when what God wants seems impossible or just too difficult for me to do, how can I do it? What can I do? How can I obey God when it seems impossible? What are some things in our life that that seem impossible, some, some areas of obedience in our life that, that seem impossible sometimes um, that God wants us to do. Maybe it's, maybe it's you feeling like God wants you to share your, your, your faith, share your story of, of faith with somebody that you, you work with or somebody that you live nearby or, or somebody that you're connected with. Every time you see them, you feel like God is putting on your heart. Share your story. Tell them about your faith in God. Invite them to church. And the thought of doing that, it paralyzes you with fear. Like, Jason, I just don't know if I can, can do that. What, what if you feel like God, what God wants in your life is for you to forgive someone who has hurt you deeply? And you say, Jason, I just don't know that I can do that. It seems impossible. 
because the hurt is deep and what they did was real. And I just don't know that I can, can, can obey God in, in that way. What if, God, what if you feel like God's wanting you to change your career path? That God is wanting you to kind of change the direction of your life. Maybe something that you've done for a while and you say, I feel this uneasiness. I feel this unrest in my heart and in my life. And it just feels like that I'm supposed to go this direction, but I've always gone this direction. And I just, it seems impossible to give up that income or to give up those benefits or to move my family. And, but, I, but I feel like it's what God wants me to do, but it just seems so difficult and so impossible. What if it's what if you feel like God's wanting you to admit some secret sin or addiction in your life and it just seems impossible? What if God won't let you quit on your marriage because, because he wants to heal it and, it and it just seems impossible? When what God wants for, for our lives, when it seems impossible, it's easy to think that obedience is voluntary. Like God, when God asks us to obey in some big way that seems so, that makes us so afraid, sometimes it can feel like, well, if we can do it, great. But if not, don't worry about it because obedience is voluntary. But God loves us too much to let us stay comfortable. Please hear that. That God loves you too much to let you stay comfortable. And so he's gonna keep pushing you towards obedience and pushing you towards obedience. And every time he asks you to obey, he's gonna build that faith muscle and he's gonna keep asking you to obey at a higher level and a higher level and a higher level because he loves you too much to let you stay in the status quo. How many people in here, maybe your parent, an aunt or uncle, a cousin, how many people in here have ever tried to help a young child learn how to jump in a pool for the first time. Let me see your hand if, if you've ever done that. A couple of you guys have done that. Yeah. Okay. So I got three kids. Got another one on the way soon. And, uh, and so Sadie and Nora have reached the age where um, we wanted or had got to the age where we wanted to teach them how to swim. And if you've ever had to try to teach a kid how to swim, you know that it is incredibly infuriating because swimming is not hard. No offense if you can't swim, but swimming is not hard. You kick your legs, you move your arms, you're going to be fine. You'll kind of float anyway. You're going to be all right. But trying to explain that to a child who is terrified, it, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't work very well, does it? So what do we do? We all do the same thing. We all put them on the edge of the, the pool and we say, okay, daddy's standing right here. Come on, you can jump. Come on, jump to me. I'm going to catch you. That's kind of where we start, right? They got on like 14 life vests because they're scared to death. And so you're like, you're not even going to go under. Look, you can just jump. And so they won't do it. They won't do it. Finally, you got to kind of grab their arm and pull them down. And then they smile. And then you put them back up there and you say, see, that was fun. Do, now you can jump. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Maybe you get them in the water and you say, okay, I'm going to hold on to you. I'm not going to let you go. I just want you to kick your legs. Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. Okay. But you got to kick your legs. You got to kick your legs. And then parents, we've all done it. Don't act like you haven't done it. You lied to your kid. You absolutely lied to your child. We all did it. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let go of the back of that bicycle seat. I'm not going to let you go in the pool. Come on. You know you did it. And all of a sudden, they're kicking their legs and it's going good. And what do you do? You go, and you hope they don't notice, right? You hope they don't notice. And they do in a half a second. And they start screaming bloody murder. That's what happened to Nora. We had her out at a community pool. There's like 150 people around. And it sounded like a stranger tried to pick her up and take her out of the pool. <laughs> I mean, she's screaming at the top of her lungs. Listen, I love her too much to let her stay comfortable. 
I love my daughter too much to let her be 22 and not know how to swim, okay? I love her too much to, to, to let her live her life over in the kid pool when all her friends are swimming in the adult pool. Are you following what I'm saying? And God, your heavenly father is the same way. You're screaming, you're kicking, you say, I hate you. You got 14 life vests on and God's saying, come on, come on, come out a little farther, come out a little farther, come out a little farther. And then you realize you're out farther than you've ever been. You realize, you know what? I am riding this bicycle without training wheels. You know what? I am swimming. I am floating. And whenever your kid gets it, come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. Like they, one minute they are screaming bloody murder. They will not get in the pool. And then the moment they realize they can swim, they're doing flips off the diving board. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like in, in five minutes, they went from, oh my gosh, I, I can't stop screaming to dad, watch this, uh, watch this dive off the diving board because that is the excitement and the rush when you realize you did it. And obeying God is the same way. God's going to keep calling us higher. He's going to keep calling us higher. He's going to keep calling us deeper. He's going to keep bringing us in, calling us to obedience, calling us to obedience. Listen, if you just started following God and you think that it's hard now, but it'll get easier, it doesn't necessarily get easier. That's not the right terminology, hard and easy necessarily. But you never get to a place where you've figured it all out and you've mastered it all in your relationship with God and he just leaves you alone. It doesn't work like that. He keeps knocking on your heart. He keeps calling you higher, calling you deeper in obedience. And the reason he does it is because on the other side of obedience, on the other side of obedience is a way to know God and a blessing that cannot be experienced any other way but through obedience. I mean, it's fun to float in the pool with all your life vests on, but it's better to jump off the board and go under. And it's the same way in your relationship with God. It's the same way. There is a, a blessing and an intimacy with God that comes from obeying him when you are scared out of your mind, but you do it anyway. And if you've ever experienced, you try to explain it to people, but it's just hard to explain. We obey on the other side. Uh, we obey and on the other side, we get the blessings of God. So here's what I wanna do today. I wanna tell you the story of Gideon. You know the story of Gideon. We've talked about it before. Maybe you've read it or, or you've heard the story growing up, but I want us to talk a little bit about the story of Gideon. And I'm gonna give you three really simple statements this morning, as long as my iPad doesn't stop, start shutting off like it's been doing the last five minutes. Uh, I wanna uh, give you three simple statements this morning and uh, that will help us to obey God when we're scared or when it seems impossible, whatever it is in our life. When we're scared or when it seems impossible, uh, we, can, um, we can obey God. And so we're going to use the, uh, the story of Gideon to, to, learn, uh, to learn that lesson today. So here's the first thing I want you to know this morning. Maybe you want to write this down. Um, and, uh, or maybe take a picture of the screen if you want to. The first thing that I want you to know is that fear is normal. Fear is normal. When you're wanting to obey God or trust God, you gotta know fear is normal. It's easy to believe that you have to overcome fear in order to obey God. It feels like scared obedience doesn't count. Anybody ever felt that way? Like you read the stories in the Bible of heroes and leaders and it feels like that they are filled with fearlessness and courage, but 
That's not true. The greatest acts of faith and courage were accomplished by ordinary men and women balancing faith and fear at the same time. It's a balancing act. It's faith and fear at at the same time. When, When failure seems like a very real possibility, it's not easy to trust God. The Bible is filled with stories of men and women who who choose to obey or chose to obey God, even though they were unsure about the outcome. Moses practically begged God to send somebody else to Pharaoh. Elijah wasn't, uh, wasn't afraid to take on 400 men, but he was scared of, uh, of one woman named Jezebel. And there's no rhyme or reason to our fears, but make no mistake about it, fear is real and obedience can be scary. I would be willing to say if you don't have some doubts, you're probably playing it too safe. If God's not calling you, to, or challenging you to obey in an area that isn't causing you to fear or doubt somewhat, you're probably playing it too safe. Now there's a, an example in the Bible a parable where Jesus used the example of a mustard seed. I'm not a farmer. I have no idea what a mustard seed looks like. But evidently, a mustard seed is a really, really small seed. And Jesus said that you need that kind of faith. He was using this as, a, as an analogy, as a, as a metaphor. You need that kind of faith, the faith of a mustard seed, if you want to experience miracles in your life. And I've read that story my whole life. I've heard people preach on it. And I don't think that Jesus was trying to quantify faith. I don't think that Jesus was saying, well, you need this much faith, but you don't need this much faith or this much faith. I don't think he was necessarily quantifying faith. I think that Jesus was trying to encourage us when when faith feels as small as a mustard seed and fear seems very real to go ahead and to act in that faith. He was giving us permission to act when fear feels like a tidal wave. Faith feels as small as a seed. See, I believe that mustard seed moments are those small, seemingly insignificant acts of obedience that start a domino effect to to mighty miracles. And you don't know it at the time. You don't know what you're starting or how your obedience is going to cause something to happen, but it's a mustard seed moment and a domino starts to fall. And if you knew the final outcome or you knew where God was trying to take you, it would paralyze you in fear, but you're able to muster up enough crazy faith to take one small step. It was... um, it was January of 2008 when the, uh, the previous pastor of the church, Craig Harvey, um, decided to step down from his role here at the church. And uh, myself and Cecil Green took over uh, in an interim, uh, interim place to, to oversee the church. And, and once we kind of started taking over, uh, we began to look at the books, and you, you know the story of our Imagine campaign, but I want to kind of explain to you what happened in my heart. And we began to, to look at the books and realize that our church was spending 99% of everything that came in on ourselves. And we weren't technically the pastors yet, but we wanted to, um, to do something about that. So that summer in 2008 was actually our first Blessback project that, um, that we had ever had. And 
in August of that year, we still weren't sure exactly what we were supposed to do or what it was supposed to look like, but we knew we had to do something. And so I got a call from my dad um, and he said, hey, I'm getting on a plane. I'm heading down to Argentina. Would you like to go with me? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll go. And I uh, didn't know why I was going. Uh, you never kind of understand God's total picture at the moment. You, things just kind of tend to line up. Uh, when you look back, everything seems to kind of work out. And so I get on this plane in August of 2008, and I fly to Argentina. I spend some days with some pastors down there, and it was a good trip. It wasn't that it was a bad trip, but three days into the trip, I'm just like, I don't know why I'm here. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it's kind of boring, you know. And, and on the last day of the trip, we went to an orphanage. And the orphanage was ran by Senora Santa Cruz, and we had a meal there, and I got to meet the kids. And when I was standing on the ground of that orphanage, I knew in that moment why God had got me on that plane. And I knew that we were supposed to do something to help this orphanage. And so we're flying back. This is not the point of the story, but kind of crazy story. We missed our flight because uh, Delta kind of messed us up. And so they put us on another flight, and I got to fly first class. It was pretty awesome, all the way back from Argentina. Anyway, so I'm sitting there by myself because my dad was back in the back, and I was in first class. And, um, and so I'm sitting there, and uh, a good son would have given up his seat, but I didn't do it. So I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of praying, and it's a flight through the night, and so I know I'm going to be sleeping soon, and I'm kind of writing some stuff down. And, and in that moment, it's hard to really kind of explain exactly what I was feeling and thinking, but I just, I felt God put these words in my mind and in my heart, and I just wrote down, give away $20,000. Give away $20,000. And so we came back and we created something called Imagine. And we stood up, I stood up here in February of 2009. And I stood up here and I said, we're going to take up an offering today. And we're going to give away $20,000 to a couple of different projects, the orphanage, church planning, things like that. And there was 118 adults in the room that day, 118 adults. And I would love to tell you that I was standing up here filled with faith, knowing that we would get the offering, no questions asked. I got to be honest, I thought there was no way we would get $20,000. There's 118 adults, you do the math. It doesn't add up. And I thought, okay, I'm stepping out of faith. I know this is what God told me to do, but like, there is no way. I mean, we'd be lucky to get $5,000. And so uh, we took the offering. We, we, we got in the car. Andrew's like, how do you think it went? And I'm like, I mean, I think it went good, but I don't know. And I get a text that afternoon from the guys who counted our offering that said we brought in $21,000 in change that day. And when I got that text, I just had this grin on my face that stayed there for about five days because I experienced what happens when God does the work, but you step out in faith and you obey God. When God challenges you or leads you to do something and you step out in faith and you don't know how it's going to happen or what's going to happen. Listen, I was terribly afraid that day that I was making a fool of myself which I, I do quite often. But that day I was really worried. It's going to make a fool of myself. And God says, if you just won't be afraid and you'll act and you'll, you'll step out in faith, I will do the work. And I can promise you that as you take a step of faith to obey what God wants, you will be filled with adrenaline and fear. Because fear is normal. You're going to be filled with adrenaline and fear, whether it's as small as sharing your faith with a coworker or getting on a plane and traveling to a third world country. Any act of obedience requires courage. 
And, and when you want what God wants, but you're not sure if you can do it, you just need enough faith to get started. Enough faith to take the first step. I love Zechariah 4.10. It says, despise not small beginnings, but I really like the second part of the verse. It says, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You don't know what it's going to be. By the end of this year, our church will have given away $400,000. $400,000 since February of 2009. When I stood up on the stage and I'm like, God, how are 118 people going to give $20,000? If God would have said to me on that plane, give away $400,000, I'd have hyperventilated. I couldn't have believed that it would have been possible. I struggled to believe that 20,000 was possible, but filled with adrenaline and fear together, we did it. And now we're somewhere down in the deep end doing dives off the board when we were afraid to let go in the shallow end. Is everybody following what I'm saying? And fear's normal. You just gotta do it scared. You just gotta do it scared. You say, well, Jason, I'm waiting till I'm not afraid to obey. You'll never not be a little bit afraid. I'm about to have my fourth kid, and I'm still a little bit scared about it. You never, it's never a right time. It's never, hey, it's all going to come together. There's enough money. You're, you're still going to have a little bit of fear. But the Lord loves to see the work begin. Mustard seed moments taking a step of faith, domino falling. So number one, fear is normal. Fear is normal. We're going to get to the story of Gideon in just a second. But the first point is that fear is normal. The second point is this, God knows my potential. God knows my potential. Gideon was a man who experienced the thrill and the fear of obeying God. Gideon was actually an answer to prayer because the people were being oppressed by, uh, by the enemy. And they were crying out to God, God, you got to do something. You have to send a rescuer. And so God decided that he was going to send Gideon as the answer to the people's prayer. They were starving at the hands of their enemy. So God decided, yeah, Gideon, you're my guy. And this is not the point today, but isn't it incredible to consider that your obedience may be the answer to someone else's prayer? Like maybe what God is asking you to do, what God wants to do in your life, maybe it's an answer to someone else's prayer. I'm serious. You could be the miraculous answer for someone else. And so God decides that Gideon... He's going to be the deliverer. He's going to be the judge. It's in the book of Judges uh, for the people. And, and I want to read you something crazy in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. Judges 6, verse 12. This is what it says. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, this is Gideon, and said, Mighty hero. Everybody say, Mighty hero. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, here's what's so crazy about that statement, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Go back one verse and read right before that in verse 11. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abazir. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to, what's that next word? Hide. Dude's hiding. So he is in hiding. An angel shows up and says, Mighty hero to a man who is hiding. 
See, God doesn't see us how we are. He sees our potential and where we are going. Yeah, fear is normal. And yeah, God knows my potential. Gideon's hiding. God calls him mighty hero. And maybe like Gideon today, maybe, maybe if you feel like you're hiding, like, like life has beaten all of the creativity and courage out of you and, and you just want to be left alone. That's how Gideon, Gideon felt too. But the angel's words to Gideon reminds us that, you, that, that who you are now is not who you will always be. And how you see yourself now is not how you will always be. And it's definitely not how God sees you. Listen to me, high school student, if you're in the room today. How it is now is not how it's always going to be. How you feel now is not how it's always going to feel. How you see yourself now is not how God sees you. Listen to me, mom, with babies that are really young and terrorizing your life. How you feel right now is not how it's always going to be. I'm preaching to myself. Come on. It's not how it's always going to be. How you feel right now is not how it's always going to feel. Listen, person making minimum wage at a job you hate, how you feel right now is not how it's always going to feel. How you see yourself right now is definitely not how God sees you. He sees us now, but he also sees us in our future. And maybe you feel like you're in hiding. But God is able to see the mighty warrior in you that you will become, even though at the moment you don't feel like a mighty warrior, you feel like a miserable failure. And Gideon wasn't convinced he was the man for the job. You know, and every, every time I read stories in the Bible, I wonder why God doesn't call on more confident people to do the difficult things he wants to do. I don't know if you've ever wondered that, but why doesn't God call on more confident people? seems like every time God shows up to somebody, he says, Lou, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Why didn't God ever show up to somebody who wasn't afraid? Why didn't he ever show up to somebody who was, who was confident? Well, I'm, I'm convinced that God uses two kinds of people, the humble and those he humbles. And he doesn't, he doesn't go after the secure, you know, qualified, confident people to do the impossible things. And there's a fine line between belief in our abilities and underestimating the need for God's supernatural ability. But God's aversion to pride often leads him to those who doubt themselves. And maybe that's where you feel like you are right now. You're doubting yourself. You're doubting your ability to obey what God wants you to do. You're, have, you're having trouble mustering up uh, uh, like that mustard seed faith to obey something that seems impossible. Please don't forget this morning. God calls you mighty warrior. Yeah, yeah, you're hiding out right now. You're afraid right now. But God calls you mighty warrior. He sees who you will become. Maybe this morning you feel addicted and bound and freedom feels like it will never be an option. God doesn't call you addicted. He calls you free. He calls you free. He calls you mighty warrior. Because you will be able to fight that battle. You understand what I'm saying this morning? That God is not uh, looking at you right where you currently are and, 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 and naming you by that and qualifying you by that. He knows where you're headed and he knows what's in you and he knows what he's going to bring out of you. 
so that when you take that first step of faith and you begin to obey him in some mustard seed faith type of scenarios, you build up that muscle of obedience in your life and, and six months or six years later, you are somewhere you thought you could never be. You do look like a mighty warrior instead of a miserable failure because God sees our potential. So number one, fear is normal. Number two, God sees or knows my potential. Third point is this, talking about obedience. When we're afraid, obedience when it seems impossible. When what God wants for us seems impossible. The third point is this, miracles happen for the bold. Miracles happen for the bold. So after arguing with the angel, Gideon finally agreed to his mustard seed moment. And God told him to go and to tear down his father's altar to Baal. And this is not the point of the message, but can I just say, sometimes when God wants to take us to a new place, sometimes we have to confront those that are closest to us in our life that may be holding us back. And sometimes that's the most difficult thing to do when it's mom or dad or boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife. And so God says, okay, your mustard seed moment is to go tear down the altar of your dad. And Gideon had no idea what God would ask him to do next. If he had, he probably would have quit, but that's not how God works. He leads us, calls us, nudges us to take a step toward his plan. And after we obey, our faith muscle grows and we're ready for the next step. And so Gideon agrees to tear down the altar, but not as a mighty warrior. Verse 27 Judges chapter 6, verse 27 says he obeyed, but he did it at night because he was afraid. I hope that encourages you today that Gideon, the mighty warrior, snuck out at night when nobody was around because he was terrified. God didn't care. If you want to do it at night because you're afraid, I just want you to obey and I want you to do it. Fear does not disqualify you from obedience. You haven't really lived until you've obeyed God, scared out of your mind. Scared obedience is still obedience. So the rest of Gideon's story, it reads like a, a comic book. It defies odds, escapes logic. God dwindles down Gideon's army of 32,000 to 300. And, and the victory uh, in the battle is so unbelievable. I want to just read it to you. Uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 19. This is what it says. So God's got 32,000 soldiers down to 300. And it says, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hand and the horns in their right hand. Notice they don't actually have a sword in the battle. They've got a horn and a, um, and a torch. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled. So just wrap your mind around this for a second. 
God tells Gideon, I'm going to give you victory, but you have too many. So he takes them from 32,000 down to 300. He says, don't worry about the sword. I want you to take a horn and a torch and some glass jars. I want you to go over by that camp. I want you to break the jars, blow the horns, and shout real loud. And Gideon's got to be thinking, that's the dumbest battle strategy I've ever heard in my life. How can I obey that? There are like 20,000 Midianite soldiers, God, with heavy artillery over there, and I'm, I, I'm going, to, we're going to get destroyed. God says, just obey. Obey. So they go, and they stand around the camp. They blow the horn. They break the jars. They hold up the torches. They start yelling stuff, and they watch. I love it. They watch as the Midianite army begins to kill each other, and those who were not killed fled. There is nothing like having a front row seat to a miracle because you are willing to obey God. Without ever using a sword, they defeat the army of Midian. But this miracle never happens unless Gideon gets enough courage to obey what God was asking him to do. And it is a reminder to us today that miracles happen for the bold for those willing to dream big, show up and do it scared. Dream big, show up and do it scared. I'd be willing to bet when Gideon thought about that battle later in life, he probably just grinned the same way I grinned that day when I got that text message about that $21,000 offering. He probably stayed on his face for a long time. Because there is this smile, this grin, this laugh that you get when you're crazy enough to trust God to plant a small seed of faith when he asks you to do something insane. And you're standing on the other side as a witness to his miraculous faithfulness. I could pass the microphone around this morning and I could say, tell me a story about a time where you obeyed God and it was insanity. It was, it was nuts. And tell us about the miraculous faithfulness of God. And I could pass the microphone around and you could hear story after story after story. And when they start talking, there'd be a big smile on their face. Because there's a smile you get when you have a front row seat to a miracle. But it happens for the bold. It happens for those who show up and do it scared and dream big. So what miracle are you needing in your life, but you haven't been bold enough to take a step yet? What miracle are you needing in your life, but you haven't obeyed the first step that God is asking you to take yet? Are you praying for a family member to be saved, but you haven't shared your faith? Haven't invited them to church? You say, God, I really want you to do a miracle in their life. It's gonna take a miracle, but you won't bring it up and you won't talk about it and you won't invite them and you won't share your story. You gotta be bold. You gotta do it scared. Are you praying for God to heal your marriage, but you haven't gone to counseling yet? You gotta be bold. You gotta do it scared. Are you praying to get married, but you haven't asked the other person out yet? You gotta be bold. You gotta do it scared. Are you praying for freedom from addiction, but you haven't gone to recovery yet or shared your secret with a friend? You gotta be bold. You gotta obey scared. Are you wanting God to heal and miraculously turn around your finances, but you're not willing to give and tithe to God first? You gotta be bold, you gotta 
do it scared. Because when you take that mustard seed step of faith in obedience to God, you start a domino effect. And you experience him in a way that you could have otherwise never experienced him. God is more than able to perform a miracle in spite of your lack of obedience, but that is rarely ever the way that it works. We almost always have to take one obedient step and then God takes over and wins the battle. Do it scared. Fear's normal. God knows our potential and miracles are for the bold. Let's pray.